Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited. We have our very first repeat guest on the podcast this week. We have Brad Fetterman back on the podcast. You might remember we talked about owning your career in 2021, and it was the number one podcast episode of the year. So naturally, had to have Brad back. If you don't already know him, he's an author, speaker, and consultant with more than 25 years of corporate experience in various aspects of HR, including performance management and employee engagement, employee compensation, executive recruitment, change management, and instructional design. He works with clients to create healthy organizations through employee and customer engagement, leadership, sales, and customer service. I have read a few of Brad's books at this point, but the book that we are specifically going to be looking at today is his brand new book called Cultivating Culture. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy some of the things that we talk about on this episode. So stay tuned. I think you're going to love this conversation. You loved the first time we spoke and you're just going to love this one. Brad is just so interesting and such an awesome thought partner, thought leader, business owner. Um, and I'm just really excited for us to chat through his newest book. So stay tuned. Without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Brad. Well, Brad, welcome back to the podcast. You're the very first inaugural repeat guest of the podcast. How does it feel? Feels great. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. And I enjoyed awesome. the last time a great deal. So I know I'll, I'll enjoy it again today. So. Yes. And you know, my listeners did too. I mentioned it to you. I mentioned it to the to the listeners as well that the podcast episode that we did together in 2021, which was um, owning your career, I think it was like maybe episode 38 or something like that. So pretty early on, that was the number one podcast episode of the year. So thank you for making such an impact. Well, thank you. And yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I also want to say, you know, happy birthday. You're taking time out of your birthday. It's a very special day to take time out to be on on a podcast, let alone to do some work. So thank you. You're welcome. It was, you know, look, you've got to put the choice into perspective. It's it's <laughs> this podcast with you or green beer. So, you know, I mean, I, I chose the <laughs> podcast with you. No, I really would rather. You could have you could have brought the beer with you. That's true. That's true. I love yeah. what I do and I love doing this. So to me, it was it's a fun way to spend the birthday. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are all grateful that you're back on the podcast. And I have um, my my nifty Kindle here, but I also did get your your recent book, Cultivating Culture. First of all, I know you're you've written many books at this point. We talked about this even the last time you were on the podcast. I, I would just love to know before we even get into this new book. What ha- what has inspired you each time to write a book? Because it's hard enough to write a book, period. But to write more than one. Like how, how do you do that? Um, gosh, that's a good question. You know, the first thing is you have to have an idea that you're passionate about. Uh, and and right. so I always start with that. And I, the other thing is I don't try and predict. I mean, you know, a lot of people try and predict what's going on or they try and rush a book to the market during a fad or an event. Um, I, I want to deal with things that I think are important and are going to be lasting issues that really need someone to sink their teeth into and, and, and work through. And so to me, when I started thinking about this book, you know, I started thinking about, you know, the, the hierarchy's dead. 
Okay. Mm. We, we now live in flat organizations that are focused on networks. We don't go up the chain of command and down the chain of command to get answers anymore. You go straight to the person who has the answer. Um, we have five, we have five different generations in the workplace. We have more diversity in the workplace than we've ever had. And what that means is, um, the norms are all gone, right? So, mm. you know, I always use some basic examples. I've opened the doors up for, I've opened the door up for a woman and I've been told, thank you. And then I've opened the door up for another woman and I've been screamed at as a male chauvinist pig, right? There are no norms, right? You, <laughs> you just don't know what people value and what they want anymore. So really what, what needs to happen is companies need to have shared passion and shared values and shared beliefs mm. on how work gets done. And that's really the glue that's going to hold things together. Right now, what we have is we have lots of conflict. You know, the DEI stuff is is important, but it's also blowing up. People can't yeah. have conversations anymore. And so yeah. to me, this was an issue that that is important for that reason. It's also important because if you look outside of the figured walls of a company, the world kind of, kind of seems like it's going crazy, right? Mm. Um, and yeah. and so if you want to make sure that that world doesn't come into your world, you need to have a strong culture. And quite frankly, if you want your community to be better, then creating a strong culture where people from different backgrounds and experiences can come together and work through things, giving them a skill set that they wouldn't normally have, will then seep into the community at large. And we can be we can be catalysts for a better set of communities and a better country or globe. But yeah. we as com companies have to take it seriously to do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, this I couldn't have asked for a better segue because very first highlight in your book, Cultivating Culture again, and we'll link it for everyone so that they can right. also um, grab the book for themselves too. But the very first highlight that I make is actually in the introduction on page four. The messages in this book were purposely written to promote two-way conversation. And I think that that is such an important sentence coming back to this point that you just made around, you know, not having the conversation anymore. We're not able to talk to each other and and really hear even contrasting opinions and, and beliefs. And, um, you know, you also mentioned that our workplace is the most diverse it's ever been. And actually, that is where conversation is so critical. Because when you have people of various backgrounds, religions, beliefs, cultures, socioeconomic statuses, if you can't have a conversation, doesn't mean you're going to agree with someone. If you can't have a conversation, you're not even you're not even starting off with a strong foundation. There is no foundation there. And so I really um, appreciated this this sentence and what you had just shared because of that, because I do think that there is a serious need um, and a serious lack of, but a serious need for really focusing on what communication looks like, what that conversation feels like. And so many companies right now are really experiencing this firsthand with the um, Russia invasion in Ukraine and having potentially employees in both places yes. and having employees represented by both, you know, both demographics. And how do you how do you navigate that, right? So I know I'm blowing this way beyond uh, the scope of this one sentence potentially, but this is what that one sentence meant to me. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, culture is shared and it can't be shared unless there's a co shared conversation. And, mm. and we still treat culture like we did in the 80s. You know, you see companies putting out placards, they put values on the wall, things on their website, they have an event, they tell people what they stand for, and then they hope it sticks. And it's very top-down, 
very event-driven kind of approach. And I make an argument that culture needs to be woven into the fabric of your organization. It needs to be something that's part of your daily life. And it needs to be reinforced, recreated on a constant basis. And, and that's about, that, that really represents the conversations you have to a large degree. And so, and I'll even go further. I, I, would, I would tell you, you have people in the workplace that are not just of Russian descent or Ukrainian descent that you brought up. You've got people who have family in both countries mm-hmm. who are torn mm-hmm. apart. I actually am coaching one person. I won't mention the company or the name, but the very first question I had the other week when the war broke out was, how are you? And then I paused and I said it like that. And when I said it like that, this very tough, strong woman broke down in tears. I mean, it, and I felt for yeah. her I, and I do feel for her. Um, and yet there's probably not a space for her to be able to acknowledge that in her workplace. Uh, mm. And there are probably aren't conversations going on about that. And if anything, she's probably heard comments or jokes or whatever the case may be. And, and it's a it's a not only a lost opportunity, it is a hindrance to productivity. It's a hindrance to health. Um, it is it, it just it, it breaks people. So you're yeah. right. It's a two way conversation. It needs to be shared. Yeah, I love that. And this um, one of the things that, you know, in this other highlight that I ha- have here from your leading intentionally chapter, first chapter, which I, I really I think that was intentional, too, probably. And like talking about how you have to you have to first start in being really intentional in the way that you lead, because mm-hmm. that has so much to do with how we create cultures. Um, but thinking about that, it's really in this psychological safety because we can prioritize DE&I. We have to pre- prioritize DE&I. Forget about wanting to do it. We have to. But we also have to create an actual space for people to demonstrate how they feel, to feel safe in expressing what they're going through. And to this um, example that you're sharing, I mean, there might be psychological safety in that organization, but potentially there's an opportunity to develop it in a more robust way so that psychological safety isn't just for those who are represented in that moment, sure. but rather just in general. And this is something I think companies are starting to think about a little bit differently because there will always be crises locally, globally. But what we can do every single day in our own businesses is make sure that people feel like they can talk about the things that are important to them and without fear of retribution, but also understanding that there might be people of different backgrounds who are not going to agree with them that maybe make them a little bit more aware of someone else's perspective and then vice versa so that someone can also relate to them in some way. And the one, um, the one piece here that I've highlighted from this chapter is to be better leaders, we must identify leaders we would like to emulate. And I love this. This is something that I, that I always advise people do. Um, and that is to really like take a look at someone that you just, you, you admire so much, whether it's, you know, a coach or a professional or, you know, a colleague who does something that maybe you're not doing as uh, in the way that you, that you see them doing or as well as you want to be doing it. And when you see someone acting in the way that you want to act, that is one of the best ways to like mirror some of those behaviors. It's not to say that you can't be your own person, but it's such a strong way. Um, actually, what did they say that, uh, um, 
copying is is like imitation synonymous with flattery, right? Flattery, yeah. Imitation is the best form of flattery. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Like, could you imagine if if one of your employees said, you know, Brad, I really love the way that you do X, Y, or Z, and you know, I really want to emulate that in my own career. I mean, th- there's nothing better than that, right? And it helps us as leaders to really identify the good and the bad, and maybe the in between. Uh, I would agree with you, hundred percent. And I think. I did do that intentionally in terms of putting leading intentionally first. I think creating space for everyone to be able to have those conversations and to be safe to be able to have those conversations is key. You know, the, the reality is, you know, and I want to I want to preface something. There's going to be someone out there going, oh, God, here we go talking about safe spaces. And, the, <laughs> you know, this isn't about people not being able to cope with things. The truth is, if if my boss tells me, um, and I'm lucky I don't have a boss anymore. Um, uh, <laughs> I, my clients are my are my bosses. But um, if if I were in the workplace, if my boss said this is the deal, right? Or I have this idea. What do you think of it? I would be foolish to speak candidly and you know and mm-hmm. openly about those things. If my if my boss had a, a strong ego and um, and took things personally, mm-hmm. and so. The reality is the company is losing an opportunity for for good feedback, innovation, growth when people can't put it out there. And so right. this isn't about a, a political conversation about safe spaces. This is about creating an environment where a company can garner everything they need from their employees because their employees have the ability to, to be able to be in it, to win it, all right? to be a part of this, yeah. to have ownership. And, and that means... They have to be safe to be able to say whatever they need to say. And, and I think that's that's key. And so the the first thing that I try and get across to people is in ink with DE and I is don't start with a bunch of DEI topics. Don't start with microaggressions. Don't start start with creating the right kind of environment and mm-hmm. then walk into those things because they are fostered first by those hamsters. I use it with in training and I use it with my team. I, I, I use an analogy of, have you ever had a pebble stuck in your shoe, by the way? Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst, right? That's that's the analogy I use, right? So I say, that if you don't take care of it, does it get better or worse? It gets worse. worse. And mm-hmm. you get to a point where it's so painful and irritating and frustrating that you you take off your shoe, but you do it kind of with a scene because you're at this point down, you're really <laughs> frustrated, you have to do it. And when you take your shoe off and you shake that pebble out, you see this small little pebble and you think, how the heck could that have caused so much pain? Mm-hmm. Well, we do that with with each other. So if Tracy, if I worked with you and you said something that upset me and I don't feel comfortable or safe to put something out there or deal with it, mm-hmm. then I, I hold it in. And um, it became becomes as painful as that pebble in my shoe, right? And so I have two choices. I have to find a way to let it go, or it's going to rear its ugly head somewhere along the line, either in a fight with you, or I'm going to go to HR and I'm going to try and get you canceled, or mm-hmm. what, all kinds of things. But you know what's not going to happen? I'm not going to talk with Tracy about it. So we have a, a signal we use, um, and, and, and all I it, all it is is I have a stone. And in the moment someone says, I have a stone, because we use that analogy, people know I need to listen and really hear what's bothering them. And you have an open conversation, but you got to create a habit structure for those kinds of conversations to happen. And you got to create signals for those kinds of conversations to happen. And that's part of the way the book was written. It was written so that if you are a leader, supervisor, team lead, executive, manager, anywhere in the organization, you had a toolkit 
of a, 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 a an, an HR person who's calling it the Bible, but I call it the toolkit um, for cultivating a culture that allows you to have those types of conversations. Yeah. Oh, that is. First of all, I'm taking that analogy. I will credit you, but I'm taking that analogy. You got it. <laughs> Secondly, um, what I can say is that I, in my mind, as I was reading the book, I was thinking of it as a guidebook, less like a Bible, more like a guidebook, so that you could just pick it up. Yeah. And say, okay, well, I have this issue with, you know, creating this uh, a health and healthy and safe environment, let's say, or leading intentionally. And how can I how can I navigate that? And I feel like it's really cool because you give prompts, you give realistic examples too of how to actually engage in that conversation, which is sometimes the hardest part. To your point, and actually, even just saying like I have a stone makes it so much easier because there are, you know, there is this fear of confrontation. And confrontation is such a terrible word to associate with a conversation. It's Correct. why when, you know, when you go into a conversation with someone and you think it's going to be confrontation, that it's going to end up being a confrontation instead of a really positive, you know, uh, amicable experience. So I totally, totally appreciate that. Shifting gears a little bit, a sure. theme that, that stuck with me was this, this concept between accountability and ownership. And obviously, on the first um, first time we we recorded, we talked a lot about owning your career. And what I found, even for myself, is that I often say like drive accountability, drive accountability. But in your um, in on page thirty three of the book, you talk about at least on the Kindle version, it might be a different um, page if you're reading the physical book. You talk about how accountability applies to things we are expected to do, and it's repercussion-oriented. Ownership, however, applies to responsibilities we assume. Ownership is pride and, ex and excitement-oriented. Yeah. And it really made me think about how I use the term accountability yeah. because we can say, oh, I'm really accountable. But actually, what we are saying is that we really own what we're doing, and we feel a lot of ownership behind our roles or our, our careers or what have you. And accountability is repercussion oriented because when you hold someone accountable, when you're driving accountability, it's assuming that there's going to be some sort of uh, result at the end of that action. When you shift the mindset between accountability and ownership, especially as a leader, this concept of, of switching to being ownership focused really does solve quite a bit of the problems that we um, face in in the workplace when you're trying to motivate and inspire people what does it matter to them that you have you know a training module for them but when you create ownership behind their roles when you create that sense of of empowerment and excitement with their with their doing i mean that that ownership is really what takes you to the next level yeah, I, I completely agree. And that, that is the point, you know, I, I want people to be accountable. Sure. But, but what's amazing is if people have ownership, accountability comes naturally, not because it has to happen, but because it right. wanted to happen. And I, I think that it's a, just a whole nother level to get to, you know, I've, I have a team right now that I just love working with. And part of the reason I love working with them is because I virtually never have to worry or think about a lot of things. They, they mm -hmm. just, they do it right. Um, they do it because we have a love for what we do, a love for who we do it for and who we do it with. And, um, and all of us want to make sure that the company's doing well and we want to make sure that we're all okay and doing well. It, we, we look out for each other. We look out for our clients 
And it's not because someone's going to get in trouble or because you're getting a performance appraisal. It's because of a higher purpose. We do a lot of work with banks. We do a lot of work with hospitality companies, hotels, retail. We also do work with corporate clients. And so this is merged into a variety of locations, but it started out in those kinds of environments. And we would work with them around building what we called huddle or stand up conversations or activities. And we would uh, model a, 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 an agenda for those meetings. The meetings were meant to be fast, exciting, um, interactive, uh, with mm -hmm. a call to action that would breed consistency in the way that people experience your organization, regardless of what location you are at. Right. And, uh, and so we have over 500 of these types of activities. We pulled 101 out for this book and, and, and we shared them with everybody in this book around those, those issues. We actually take them and we will tie them to not the 101, but all of 500 will tie them to the pillars or values of a company and we will either create a, a package for them that they can use manually paper wise, you know, that kind of thing, or we'll put it in an app and people will get emails. So if I do my stand up meeting at eight o'clock in the morning, I'll get an email at six in the morning with um, the agenda and the conversation and activity. I don't even have to prepare because it's all done for me. It's in my hand. Uh, you're doing culture building. You have a call to action. And so that's where this book comes into play. You said guidebook. Uh, picking it up when you need it. I look at it like you need to sit down and if you meet once a week with your team, pull one of the activities out of this book and use it in that meeting, right? In fact, yeah. at the very end of the book, there is a an agenda right ah, there. This was that, very cool, yes. That people can use to make a better meeting, a more fun meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, this point on meetings, I know we jumped right to the conclusion, but this is an important point for me sure. because... I, I mean, the meetings when they're back to back, I mean, what work do you get done? What kind of, what kind of, uh, you know, looking up from your computer or looking up from your desk do you have? You really don't. And this, it's so interesting because anytime I've ever run or reviewed some sort of like engagement or pulse survey, it always comes up that there are too many meetings, right? And, you know, I, I, I guess my question on this meet, because I did want to ask this while we're on the topic of meetings. Let's say a company is burdened with meetings right now and they're not really sure how or if they can reduce them or really streamline them to make for a better experience. What is the first step in putting action to do that and putting in action to do that, I guess I should say? And then, you know, what are some ways if you can't really cut out meetings, what are some ways that that leaders at least can make them a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit less burdensome? This episode is brought to you by Namely. With workforces continuing to evolve at rapid speeds, it's more important than ever to stay ahead and support the people behind your business. You need the right HR solution to do that, but making any type of switch can feel overwhelming. Unless, of course, you make the switch to Namely. This is the all-in-one HR solution that your company needs, and they are backed by a team of hands-on specialists that will guide you every step of the way. Namely helps you and your team stay connected and informed on each aspect of HR, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, with onboarding, performance management, payroll, and intuitive benefits enrollment, all in one connected and modern platform. Plus, your team of implementation experts makes the transition to Namely painless with best practice consulting, system configuration, training, and more. And it doesn't stop at implementation. 
Get ongoing dedicated support and enhanced services from experts who know your business as you continue to evolve, so your team can become experts themselves with the tools and services that help them succeed. Companies are built on people. Don't let either fail. Get the support you need and learn more about making the switch to Namely today by going to Namely.com. Don't wait. That's Namely.com. Sure. So the first thing I think you have to ask yourself is what, what do we really need to say yes to? Right. Mm. In order to say yes to something, you need to say no to other things. And it's the prioritization game. If everything's important, you never get anything done. And I think the same comes from meetings. The second thing I think you need to say is what's, what's working, what's not working. The third thing I'd say is, are you using your time wisely? So I go into companies all the time and I ask what keeps you up awake awake at night? Mm. And uh, you know, what, what really bothers you? And they'll talk about it. They'll say, Oh, morale, turnover, and everything they talk about is people stuff. So then I'll say, tell me what you talk about in your meetings. And they'll go, technical problems, project plans, (laughs) right? And none of it is any of the stuff that they just told me about. And I'll go, wait a second. If that's the stuff that's going to kill your business or make your business successful, how come you don't talk about your meetings? And they look at you and they say, because this stuff's just easier to talk about and easier to deal with. And right. And it, 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 and then I ask, but you have these values on the wall. How often do you talk about these values? And, you know, you find out you t- some of these people never talk about them. Or if they do, they talk about them once a year. Well, then they're not values because you yeah. are what you focus on. You are what you talk yeah. about. Right. And so the, and then the last thing that I would say that I think people need to think about is how, how they do it. So I'm going to give you a good example. I was working with a plant and they were doing safety huddles and it was a series of um, you need to be safe. Here's what you need to do. Make sure you follow these rules. And, and and they went over like all this stuff that people were zoned out on, didn't care about, couldn't digest at all. And, and there was no interactivity. And I said, I said to them, you need to have a conversation. They said, we can't have a conversation. We don't, we don't have time. These are short meetings. And I said, hold on a second. You have time. You've got 365 days. So you don't have to do all these things in one meeting. Right. Shorten it into one topic and make it real and then do another topic the next day. They said, I don't think that would work. I said, how about this? Let me do it three days. And they said, okay. So I took their topics and the first day I did something really interesting. I, I, I talked about what is safety, right? And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I asked the question, what is safety? And everybody gave the same road answer. No accidents. See, we have, we have, uh, we count the number of accidents, right? And, and it was, it was kind of like, we're saying what we have to say. So then I said, um, I want you to do something with me right now. And they said, what? I said, I want you to kind of close your eyes for a second. These people are on the floor, right? Of the, of the plant. I said, close your eyes. And they said, I said, okay. So they closed their eyes. I said, I want you to imagine that today someone gets hurt. And they have to go to the hospital. Someone you work next to, you know, maybe you're friends with. And um, and we don't know if they're going to make it. Or maybe they lose their hand, right? Mm. And you could see the emotion starting to hit people's faces. And I said, and then I want you to think about you having to make a phone call to that person's wife or husband or child. And tell them that you're sorry because they're, they're not coming home. Mm. How does that make you feel? And you have this conversation about it. And then the call to action is, 
What are we going to do to make sure that we don't ever have to make a call like that? Executives need to do this. You meet once a month? Yeah. You should have a conversation like this, right? Yeah, they should. Yeah. Yeah. People yes. digest conversations. They don't digest lectures. Totally. Totally. I mean, and actually like any two to three hour meeting arguably does not need to be two or three hours. So this is like, if you're an executive listening, like stop that. Um, nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to sit in that. Actually, I, I'll, I'll double down on this. Nobody wants to give a two to three hour meeting. No. I believe in, I believe in 20 minute or less meetings. Sprints, and if yes. it's not 20 minutes or less, it, it's a work session. Yeah. And if it's not a work session, then I have to ask myself, why are we actually getting why are together? We, right. You're coming back to this point on when you say yes to things, you say no to other things and vice versa. Start saying no to those meetings or at least no to planning them. Uh, coming <laughs> coming back to this uh, discussion on, or really the, the segue that I started to make on businesses being a, a bit um, short with resources right now. Yeah. Um, you know, something that stuck out to me in your third chapter on developing talent, developing your talent, was about the workplace the workplace being more than just a, a job, but actually a place to grow. And you also say growth involves risk. One cannot be present without the other. And you ask this question, how often are we learning from our environment and our fellow team members? So I actually, first of all, fully agree with that. We are often at work way more than we're anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and so we, if we're not taking advantage of the growth that is intrinsic in the workplace, then we're really missing a lot of opportunities. And on the flip side of that, if we're not growing people in the workplace, we're missing opportunities. What is your advice to a leader or an employee who really feels like growth is not part of the scenario today because there isn't physically any time to really take away for professional development or, you know, coaching conversations, things that do add to their development as a, as a person and right. in their career. Okay. So shameless plug. That's one of the reasons why I built it. I wrote this is because if you do this, you're actually helping your team grow. That's one mm. way to do it. But two things, one is culture building. And, and I, and, and it is the use of a book like this and that, and the types of things that are in the book culture is, um, it's the engine that powers people's ability to reach their true potential. Mm -hmm. If you have a culture where people feel safe to take risks, then they grow. So part of when I, when I talk about that, part of that is about creating an environment that allows and encourages people to grow. That doesn't take time, mm. right? That's the first thing. The second thing I'll tell you is if a company or a leader doesn't believe that it is in, it's the most important thing, because you're short-staffed, then I would I would make this argument: get ready to be more short-staffed, to be yeah. worse, to yeah, be worse short-staffed. And and what I mean by that is this: the name of the game going forward is learning and development. It's the new commodity. If you want loyalty of any kind, and and I'm not saying loyalty about going back into the 50s and 60s or 70s the way it was back then. I'm talking about if you want to elongate people staying at your company. And if you want them to give you as much as they can while you're they're there, then make them sharper, faster, better, stronger today than they were yesterday. They're thinking, if I am not learning, if I'm not growing, if I'm not more marketable today than I was yesterday, then I'm leaving. The game for talent is important. So 
that should be your top priority. I love it. So so we can effectively say, cut out the, the meetings and repurpose that time to really focus on how you are paying attention to and growing the people in your organization. Absolutely. One way. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> no more meetings for anyone listening. <laughs> Everybody can cancel them now. <laughs> I'm going to cancel mine. No, I, I love that. I mean, listen, there's a, there's really something to be said about the talent game. And it's so funny because, you know, the answers have been the same year after year after year. The pandemic just really magnified sure all did. of the problems, right? All of the challenges. Um, but the the answers have always been the same. Focus on the people that are adding value to your organization, and they will add more value to your organization. And I've always said as an HR person that, you know, one of the coolest things about HR is that you can focus 100% on the, the person, the human being at the center of the business and never have to worry about the KPI or the objective. Because as long as you're paying attention to that person, what they need, their developmental needs, what what makes them you know tick and give them energy and what gives them energy, that's what is going to hit those targets for you. Th- that person is going to work so um, deliberately, intentionally, and loyally for not only you, but also for the organization. It's why we always say that people work for people, because when you actually give to someone what they're giving to you and your business, I mean, the sky's the limit. So I love that. And, and actually, I think this brings me to my final question for you. Right, so I okay. will not, you'll not no longer be in the hot seat after this question. Um, and it's about the building team harmony chapter. And specifically you say recognition is the fuel on the motivational fire. And I really thought about this because one recognition is not a one size fits all solution. Everyone has a different way to be recognized. But the reality is, is that when people feel appreciated and valued, then again, it comes back to this point that they are going to work not necessarily twice as hard, but they're going to work twice as as effectively potentially for the organization because they feel valued, appreciated, and they're excited to be doing what they're doing. I imagine that that is a, an accurate read of that sentence. It's a very accurate read, and I I appreciate the use of the word appreciation because true recognition comes from appreciation. When we put in recognition mm. programs or we tell people, recognize somebody once a week, right? Or and you've heard all those kinds of little fun exercises. Yeah. I hate them because it's a check, <laughs> it's a checklist effort, right? Yeah. Uh, recognition, true recognition comes from true appreciation, right? And so, and, and in order to truly appreciate somebody, you have to, you have to really value them, what they do, how they do it, their differences, um, and you have to then begin to cater to that a little bit, right? So I actually had a conversation with a, a manager uh, today, actually, and uh, I, I'm, I'm coaching this person. And they said, you know, I have a, I have no problems working with different people. I just want to work with people who are curious and open to learning. And I, I asked them a question. And the question was, what if the way you're interacting with them shuts down their curiosity, shuts down their willingness to learn. And Mm. they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, everyone is uniquely different and everybody has a different language. And that was powerful because they had to come to terms with the fact that as a leader, 
they had that kind of influence. They see themselves as separate, but you're intertwined with your people. And that's that's where the words servant leadership come from. We're serving right. our people. They're not serving us. And because we're in the power seat, part of serving our people is meeting them where they are, which means that we have to be flexible. We have to learn to flex different muscles. We have to learn to communicate uniquely with each person on our team in a way that they can value it and be motivated by it and really promote great expectations and results, not because we're focused on the results, but because we're focused on the people and we're allowing them to just be the best they can be. I mean, I, I just think that's, yeah. that's the power of it. And, and, and that's where that comes from. And it's the reason why I think doing these exercises and conversations are so important because it promotes that conversation. It, it brings out emotion uh, in a way that's productive where people really yeah. understand one another and, and builds trust. And, and the way I view it is culture is a living, breathing thing. And it must be continuously created to be preserved and maintained. And having these conversations allows you to do that. Two points of reflection that I've had in, in hearing that and what you've just shared. The first is that I always say this, especially to HR leaders, but in general, when we are leading people, when we're HR professionals, we are effectively in customer service. And if we don't recognize that the people who work for us are actually the ones that that we are employed by, that we are serving, then we have already failed. Like we've already done something to, you know, break the foundation of a, a strong culture or a strong experience and positive environment. And I've, I, I really have always navigated my own career that way because I feel like especially HR, if you, if you don't view your own role as a service role, I mean, then you're, you're probably not really providing the best services. And if you don't like being in a service role, you're probably not in the right career. And then the second reflection that I had on this point of recognition is that recognition also is just simply saying thank you. And, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, a huge display. It goes a long way just to say thank you because that person on the receiving end of that thank you realizes now that you recognize something that they put energy into and that you appreciate it. You know, one of my favorite pieces of recognition or appreciation is free, except for the cost of uh. small cost. It's really free for the most part. You can't do it all the time. It has to be on a special occasion for a special situation. And it has to be authentic. You have to mean it. I want you to just for a moment work with me because I've done this and it's it's just incredibly powerful. Okay. Imagine you work with someone and you know them well. And you know that he or she has maybe two kids, say six and eight years old at home. And um, they're just like integral to the success of your organization, to your team. And, and you really value them. Just taking a piece of paper or note card out and writing a letter to their kids. Um, I mean, I've done this to their kids wow. to tell them how how important their mother or father is and oh. the kind of hero they are every single day and what they've done to make this place a better place. And then to send that in the mail, the cost of a postage stamp, right? To the house. And then when you get home, you're that you're that person, you're the you're that 
husband or wife, mother, father, um, and you come through the door and your kids run up to you and hug you and tell you how proud they are of you. You're like a hero for five minutes. And then you're trying to understand what's going on and you read the letter. I will tell you that relationships change in that moment for in, in such a powerful way. And they change with the company in such a powerful way. Now, I said in the beginning, it has to be real and authentic. You can't do it all the time. Right. This can't be something you're doing because you're trying to pull heartstrings. This has to be done because you really feel it and you want that family to know it, right? And yeah. but man, that's free. And I can tell yeah. you when I've gotten in crowds and asked how many people have done that, hardly any hands go up. I've never done it. I love that. Yeah. No, I'm feeling a little emotional. Like that's, that's really nice. That's really, really nice. I mean, I, I think that that is, uh, and especially when it's sincere, it has to be sincere and authentic, but I'm just thinking about, imagine if, if someone did that for me, you know, if like one of my bosses just sent a letter to my husband or to my parents and they could, you know, cause they, they see or understand a little bit of what I do or what our employees do if we share it, but they might not know how integral to the success of the organization you are unless they really hear it from someone else. So that I love that idea. I hope that that the those of you who are listening and are looking for some creative and authentic and genuine ways of really thanking and appreciating the team that you have today, I hope that you take that and, and run with it. And I, I truly don't, I can't think of a better way to conclude this episode than that because that is so heartfelt and I love that. And I'm sure that the the person that was on the receiving end of that type of recognition from you or from any other leader that you've coached who's now done that, um, I'm sure that those people feel just so excited about where they work, who they work for and what they do. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it was a, it's a, it was not only a great moment for them. It was an incredible moment for me. I think that's the, that's what's even more powerful about it is you do it because you mean it and you're being sincere and you, and you, and you're excited for them. But the, but when it happens, you don't realize the impact it has on you. It's powerful yeah. even for you. And I think that's the amazing thing about it. Well, listen, I couldn't have asked for a better repeat guest. First inaugural repeat guest on the podcast. Thank you so much, Brad, for taking time out of your day, your birthday, to um, be on the podcast again and for being, uh, again, the, the inaugural repeat guest. My pleasure. My pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Always like having conversations with you. We're so like-minded. It's it's fun. It, it, it's just a great conversation. It feels like catching up with an old friend. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, same. Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad to be, you know, synonymous with an old friend you can always you can always count on me (laughs) well thank you so much and i'm hey you never know maybe you'll be back next year too maybe we'll make this an annual thing i I would love it i've got another book i'm writing on right now oh okay well you heard it here first everybody see you next year (laughs) thanks so much take care